Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. We are broadcasting from sunny South Florida. Um, Jordan, Home of the Aussie old turkey. How you feeling? You should be feeling. I'm wonderful, happy. <laughs> it's turkey season again, and we've got to touch a couple. So um, this is what we have in store for you today. So we are at a place called Blackbeard's Ranch. If you've watched the show or any of the YouTube Truth Web series, you've seen this place pop up. Um, and then currently with you know not just this year but and not just on our podcast there's been a growing interest in things that a turkey hunter can do not to just be a better turkey hunter but to better wherever they Take are care of resource yeah better their place for turkeys you know make it a, so in what i'm getting at is uh the main we're going to talk a little bit about hunting right now but then we're going to go to a conversation with a very good friend of ours by the name of jim strickland and mr jim strickland is the manager of blackbeard's ranch and i'm telling you if for i know for me someone who went to school at mississippi state and spent their time in the college of forest resources i was geeking out hard on some of the stuff he was talking about yeah so i mean just the habitat management stuff and the sustainability balance i can't even get into it it was just if you have any interest in habitat management habitat influence wildlife it's uh, george making fun of me for moving my hands i move my hands in my talk but it's <laughs> it's an incredibly interesting conversation yeah they, um, uh, they kind of they'll put it in make you think about ranching and all that and a different perspective than a lot of people do i think yeah um and there's a lot of stuff in there and we, we talk about it um in the conversation there's stuff that he says you know I, he's a you know he's talking about a ranch in south florida but there's very very much things that he says that translates to something that a property owner in mississippi alabama or maryland could do yeah you know so um we'll get to that other things to touch on uh primo's youtube channel we are uploading new turkey content weekly yeah. so be on the lookout for that y'all been clamoring for it we've been double clamoring to get it out there to y'all now the time is here um it'll be out there so check that out go to youtube type in primos hunting um primos.com uh, one there is a promo code you can save 15 percent off any regularly priced item that promo code is spring 22 um, and that's valid through april 1st and lastly check out the primo select calls mm -hmm. that's your heartbreaker little heartbreaker the freak the jackpot and the PS Yelpers. That old heartbreaker had one popping this morning, boy. Show did. Show did. Um, let's talk, before we start talking habitat management with Mr. Strickland, let's talk about a little bit of rundown on things that have happened so far. Okay, okay. It's been a fast 24 hours or four, 36 hours so far. We're recording this. Today is Sunday. Uh, open season yesterday. Opened on Saturday. Um, so it hadn't been open a full two days yet. It hasn't been open a full two days. We we flew to Florida because Jordan thought that was a good idea. Uh, we were supposed to get land at like 5 o'clock. Now, back up a minute. I texted you the other day. I said, do you want to fly or do you want to drive? It don't matter. I was just letting you make the decision. I said, are you sure? Yeah. I wanted to drive. You should have spoke up. Maybe so. For everybody listening, if somebody asks you, what do you want to do? And if you have a preference one way or the other, speak up or forever hold your peace. As soon as we got to the airport, I was like, I'm just going to drive. Well, yeah, because they already were delaying flights and stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, we got here at like 
10 o'clock that night. Um, so ended up, and I'll let you take the story up over from this point, but we knew uh, Jesse was here at the time, Jordan's wife, and we knew, like, if we don't have time to roost anything, tomorrow's opening day, the best thing we have to go go on is go with a spot or an area at the very least that's been productive for us in the past. Old that, pond plot. That led us to the old pond bed. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, spot's been good to us. We've actually shot a turkey there now for the last four years in a row. Yeah. Four seasons. Uh, this old fire land, you got to walk down. You get down there to a little spot where you can listen. And, uh, we're standing there, sat down on the ground listening. It was, what, 20 minutes for gobbling time? We got in there yeah, early. It was way early. Because... The last thing you want to do on opening morning is be late. Yeah. Unacceptable. Yeah. Well, we got in there. It's probably the earliest I'll actually sit in a spot all season. <laughs> but uh, we were there. Sitting down uh, beside a cabbage tree. And Blake and I heard this at the exact same time. Yeah. It was undeniable. It was like, oh, boy. Jordan was sitting on the ground. I was standing up like leaning against the tree me and him both look over at each other at the same time and it's still, it's so dark all i can see is like the outline of his face but you know i can imagine what his facial expression was probably about like mine i was like yeah that was that was definitely a turkey drumming that's what that was oh yeah uh, it was close yeah and uh we went all into full ninja mode yeah which was it took some effort like we decided to make camp right there so we scrambled and well, no, we did not scramble. We took our sweet, sweet, delicate, as quiet as possibly as we can time. And it, I don't know how long it took us to actually get set up, but we did not spook turkey. We did not spook turkey. No, we did not. He uh, he kept on drumming. Every time he drummed, I'd give a little sigh of relief that we hadn't spooked him yet. Yeah. And, uh, shoot, he got gobbling time. And got, turkey started gobbling everywhere, but he was just up there drumming. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, a hen went. Yeah. He's like forty-five yards from us. So even then, I knew he was close, but I thought he was going to be like sixty, seventy when he finally gobbled. When he gobbles, and he's like, the only reason we can't see him is there's an oak tree between us and him. That's the only, and that oak tree saved us oh, essentially, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Luck of the draw, we happened to be standing right there. But um, yeah, and then. The hens flew down, and they flew across the fire lane into the old pond bed, which is kind of what we thought was going to happen, but we it's not like we could make another setup. We yeah, I mean, that's up. where we were heading to. We were just stopped right there to listen to see where if there was one around it on the edge, and that's why we stopped there in case there was one on that end of it. Mm-hmm. So we kind of sat back there and watched them for a while after strutting and gobbling and stuff 150 yards away. Yeah. And uh, finally, they eased off, just doing their normal feeding, walking and feeding type deal that hens do, and he's dragging up the rear. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pulled out my tall timber because I was getting antsy. Yeah. And uh, hit it a couple times pretty loud, and another turkey gobbled two of them. Yeah. I thought it was one at first. But, uh, <sighs> yeah, waited 30, 45 seconds, did it again. He's closer. And then at that point, you said it's two of them. Yeah, I could hear them crossing heads. And uh, we uh, let them recharge again, tried them again. They're even closer. So at that point, we start getting ready because we think we're going to get into something. Yes. 
Um, we kept on yelping at them a little bit just yeah. because it's opening day and we ain't yelped at a turkey. Oh, yeah, I got involved. I yeah. couldn't help it. I yeah. wanted to yelp. Uh-huh. And uh, finally seen them coming and uh, didn't take them just a few minutes. And no, yeah, once we saw them, the, the closing in, uh, we, we were running those – little golf stoppers hen and jake and they they came to those pretty good and uh yeah that was that and uh jesse got her turkey and uh that was like i mean as far as the opening day goes you can't really you can't ask much better about an hour into it we got got one down so yeah and then uh the wind started picking up uh i don't we didn't get in much of nothing yesterday afternoon the wind was blowing so hard we got our steps in is what we got yeah we got a little a couple walking past gone around here and uh we what were we doing yesterday afternoon we we're taking pictures and stuff we tried to roost didn't hear anything and uh this morning we went to old faithful back to the pond area to listen well that and then we were trying to get we were like if we can set up differently this time we can get a crack at that one gobbler that we sat under yeah we was hoping yeah. he was in the same spot and he was there this morning and uh once again we couldn't get to where we needed to because hens in the trees and uh had to sit up on the other end of the pond probably 200 from him 175 yeah and yeah. actually had hens right behind us and uh they pitched out like right over our head landed at 60 yards fooled around out there but he never did come out there with them like he had to have other other friends with him over there where he was must have and uh he hit the ground and went away from us yeah out of here and so uh that was that. We chased a couple. Yeah, we took out walking again. Because we could hear turkeys gobbling, so we went towards them, and they never got any closer. I think they were going at the same pace we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did we do after that? Um, we eventually decided we were going to get at least closer like we're gonna nothing's really oh yeah we hot got right we now. got in a car to make a loop to yeah. get around the front of the way that's heading well but we were like we're gonna hunt at least somewhat close to the camp because jesse has to fly out yeah. so we're like we're at least we're not going to be on the complete other side of the camp mm-hmm. to get back and so we that's that's kind of the main our main factor for making that decision but it ended up being good. yep and uh we parked and got out and uh walked up the road a couple hundred yards where we could see this big old field like it's always turkeys around it somewhere or another throughout the day mm-hmm. and uh we could hear a turkey gobbling out there but uh walked up there where we could see out in it and i could see a gobbler like 600 yards across it <laughs> and uh, i was like there's no way that's the turkey we were hearing gobble like mm-hmm. no way yeah anyway tried to call nothing hit well, and also, again, it was a time management thing at that time. It's like we could, could try to make a – we could go try to make a play on that 600-yard gobbler, but by the time we get over there and then we're dealing with, like, having to take Jesse back to the airport. So, again, it's like we need to hunt close. Yep. And uh, so we decided to make a loop around the camp. And uh, when I say camp, it's we're camped in the middle of turkey woods, and it's like a – 200 acre pasture around us with a bunch of burns and stuff like yeah. it's yeah. not hunting in the camp yard but uh anyway go walking down this fire lane and we're thick on both sides of us and uh, one side's opening up into the pasture and but it's palmetto's what 15 yards thick it's thick you can't see through them. Yeah, they're head high you can't yeah. see anything through it you can't even tell if there's anything in the field 
get down there and i'm standing there looking at some cows like 60 yards in front of us trying not to blow them out of the country mm-hmm. i'm trying to like give them a little soft push but not like make them stampede yeah a little soft bump a little soft and bump. uh all of a sudden <laughs> man, that was loud well the, the turkeys were loud mm-hmm. they were like 50 yards from us yeah and uh the turkeys are on the other side of these palmettos from us and uh we're like, what are we gonna do? They're yeah. not gonna come through here. Well, the well, thank God they couldn't because the the double side of that is they couldn't see either. Yeah, like I mean, I mean there, there may as well there might as well have been a wall. I mean, they couldn't see. Yeah, they're like shotgun range, but there's no way you could even you couldn't even shoot through there and hit one. Yeah. And well, no, you couldn't shoot you sh- couldn't shoot ten yards in that stuff. Mm-mm. But the other thing is that uh, is that you're we're in Florida and this fire lane that we're on it's sand. That's so quiet. it makes for very quiet walking. Yeah. So we backed up, and I noticed a gap in the in the uh, palmettas when we were walking down there. We backed up about 70 yards and sat down and started yelping, and they started gobbling, and they started coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, Started coming rather quickly-ish. Like, just like you would hope they would. I mm-hmm. mean, I think we yelped at them, what, three or four times? and Again, I got involved because of... I wanted to. Whether or not it was necessary, I don't know. I just wanted to yelp at them. Yeah, and, man, they came down through there. We were sitting on that fire lane, and they came down the edge of the field and popped up in that little opening and came under the fence to the little gob stoppers, and uh, boom, boom. Boom. Well, but one boom. One boom. One boom, yeah. We got one. We got one shot one of those turkeys. And that's been – that was opening day, and then – Second day of the turkey season down here in South Florida. So it's been good. Um, if you're looking to hear complaints, you will not hear it on today's show because <laughs> we don't have any. We're happy. Yeah, happy as a clam. Uh, we'll be down here a couple more days. Uh, but for now, we're going to go straight into our conversation with uh, Mr. Jim Strickland, again, the manager here at Blackbeard Ranch, talking about land management, sustainability, and just it, – it's it, guys, it really is a, a very interesting conversation. Heck, I learned some stuff in this conversation, you know. A honeymoon. So, yeah, I learned what a honeymoon is. I had no idea. Did you? No, now I do. Y'all listen to it. <laughs> There's a gobbler right there. Is it really? Yeah, right across the yard. <laughs> Okay, why don't, why don't you do that as we, as we as we lead into it? You can go. Wait a minute, boys! There's a gobbler running across the front of the cabin. <laughs> it about fits the conversation. So, uh, so, Mr. Jim Strickland. Yes, sir. We when's the first time we came to Blackbeard's 2018? Me and Jesse were talking about this on the way to the airport earlier. 2018, first time we came down here, and that was just like a a last minute deal. Our buddy Jim Hanley, he's. Uh, I called him. I was like, "Hey, you know uh, anywhere we can go turkey hunting?" He's like, "Let me make some phone calls." And then he, yeah, uh, I guess he called you, and that's how it all ended up and that coming was, together. That's been yeah, 2018 was the first time. Uh, so Blackbeards has been on the show several times now. You know, for on our YouTube channel and on our television show and. What I kind of wanted to, you know, when I realized we were going to have the opportunity to have you on this podcast and have a conversation, I remember the first time that we came out here, we filmed that hunt with Jessie. She killed that great big old turkey. Um, And we cut a a voiceover to go with the end of it. And I can't remember what the exact words were, but it was like, it was something that was saying, Blackbeard's Ranch is proof that agriculture and wildlife conservation can coincide. 
And if I, I kind of, if we could kind of take that theme into the into this conversation, Jordan knows our, our audiences, especially this time of year, everyone's thinking about spring turkeys. They're they're thinking about more so than just hunting them. They're thinking about wildlife conservation and they're thinking about management practices. And so, I guess to like to the beginning, like what? How did Blackbeard's Ranch? How did that even start? You know. Well, I was, I, I've, been, I've been very fortunate, but uh, by having either good friends or, or relatives that have, like, you know, helped me have some opportunities. And Black Bear Ranch was started by a, a friend of mine, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Galinsky, that he, he wanted to start investing uh, in, in land and property in the state of Florida. And so we, uh, so we found two or three different ranches and citrus groves and, and different, you know, different pieces of property. And so I'm the manager. I'm the manager here. And mm-hmm. uh, so when we got this one, we really wanted to take this uh, approximately 5,000 acres next to Mayaka State Park, uh, also close to the Mayaka River, which is the only wild and scenic river designated river in the state of Florida, which means it's very important mm-hmm. uh, environmentally and hydrologically. Mm-hmm. So this is a working cattle ranch. It's a cow-calf working cattle ranch. And, and so... When we got into when we got into this ranch, I've been in the ranching business my whole life. I'm 66. Started probably when I was six or eight years old, riding on the cow crew, mainly on leased land. We've never amassed a whole lot of land. We've leased a lot of land for a lot of years, different places, anywhere from Sarasota Bay all the way to, to the center of the state or down towards the Everglades. But we uh, leased a lot of land. But here, we wanted to really take the opportunity to you know because of the diverse environmental aspects of this you've got cabbage sloughs you've got a lot of uh, up uplands you've got some flatwoods you've got some maiden cane ponds you know you've just got a whole lot of diverse uh country and we were looking at how can we maximize because that's what we're always trying to look at you know how do we monetize maximize sustainability really means profitability Mm -hmm. it's nice to say you want to be sustainable to be sustainable, you need to be profitable, right. uh, period. Right. It, no matter if it's a business, no matter if it's a ranch, a farm, an orange grove. And so we look at all different things that we can do to uh, maximize the amount of money we can get off a piece of dirt and take care of that piece of dirt. Mm-hmm. Then, may, then we've got resilience and sustainability built in. So we reached out to a lot of different people, one of them with Fish and Wildlife Commission. Uh, of Florida, which is known here as, you know, the Game Warden Group. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because we're surrounded by saltwater, you know, we have a lot of game wardens that, that spend time on the saltwater. We have a lot of ponds like Lake Okeechobee, you know, so the game wardens spend time there. They, got it. they have a lot of biologists. They have a, a lot of ecologists that work with them because they are known as managing a lot of land for hunters Mm -hmm. i mean we're talking about hunting i mean you know wildlife wmas or wildlife management areas down here a lot of them are managed by by the uh, florida wildlife commission and their employees so we reached out to them and said hey we want to we want to do this right and we're looking for guidance we've we've been in the cattle business for a long time my family has here since about 1850 uh, Mm. here and here in the state of florida but we are cognizant that we need to reach out to people that know more about a lot of different things than we do we can't be all things on a cattle ranch so Mm -hmm. we reached out to them they brought a team in here um, julie morris with the uh national wildlife refuge association 
that covers the entire Gulf of Mexico and the uh, state of Florida. Mm. And uh, she is also involved with uh, Florida Conservation Group, which is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And so they brought her in. They brought in a Dr. Jennifer Korn that was a panther biologist. They brought in uh, several other folks then here. One of the things that they did as we sat down and started discussion was we wanted to maximize everything on this ranch for cattle production and wildlife. That's how we wanted to do it. We wanted to see if we could have that balance to where what we did for our cattle was good for our wildlife. So we really, between, a, I call it that team, really worked at doing that. So one of the things we did was divide, to design a burning plan for this, this ranch. Now, mm. we had been burning woods since I was a kid. I mean, we used to burn 15, 25, 30,000 acres a year whenever I was a kid. Um, you know, because we are a pyrogenic state. We are kind mm -hmm. of the lightning capital down here also. Mm -hmm. And for all that species, like, you know, you and I have talked in the past is, you know, I've asked you over the years what is really beneficial for my turkey population because mm -hmm. I'm sitting here with two of the foremost experts of turkeys <laughs> in the United <laughs> States of America. Um, so, so, here we, so here we are. One of them was, you know, predator control. The other one was doing a lot of burning. So right. our burns, instead of having two or 3,000 acre burns, <coughs> working with Florida Wildlife Commission and Florida Conservation Group, we designed a burn plan. So instead of burning big tracks, we'll burn 300 acres or 400 acres here, there, and yonder, right. kind of like a checkerboard. If we were looking mm -hmm. at a chessboard or a checkerboard, it would be like that where when you burn something, it wasn't a scorched earth policy. They could literally go a quarter of a mile, half a mile, something like that. And they'd be right back in, in, you know, what they were accustomed to. Yeah. And then come out and feed onto those things because, you know, y'all have given me a lot of information. So that was their original first project was design a burning program for this ranch. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, uh, and it's been, it's been, Funny for looking at, I guess, or intriguing looking at it from like a hunter's perspective too, because we've almost gotten accustomed to it. Like we know mm -hmm. when we come here, there's going to be a fresh burn somewhere, but we know it, we've got almost gotten accustomed to the size that's going to be burned. We know it's not going to be one big block. And uh, like Dr. Marcus Lashley, he actually works at the University of Florida. Um, he's a, a disturbance ecologist, but uh, like he calls it the magnet effect because you know turkeys are going to be hanging around that fresh burn, but it has been it's been so intriguing slash encouraging to see uh how much it's grown and how much the habitat has improved just in the short time that we've been coming here it's been amazing like i remember last year was the first year that we saw we saw a gopher tortoise hanging out in that burn yeah it was right before you shot that turkey yeah <laughs> as uh we always talk about this with back home when you see a box turtle it's like good luck like because usually for whatever reason when you find those box turtles there's turkeys in the vicinity I, there's something about the habitat they both like mm. same way with the gopher turtles tortoise, or tortoise yeah. sorry <laughs> <clears throat> but uh but it seems like when you find them they they're in the correct habitat for both i don't know what it is but this seems to happen well then the other thing too is uh I guess I remember it like it was yesterday when I, I mean, I'm sure that you had known about it already, but last year when we found that, walked up on that gopher tortoise, I was so excited to tell you about it because I know how your attitude is towards 
this place. And I was like, man, if he knows he's got gopher tortoises, if you've got gopher tortoises, that means you've got fire. If you've got fire, that means you've got good habitat. That means you're doing something right, you know. It's uh, it's it's been truly amazing. Tell me about uh, y'all are always doing like, like it seems like y'all have a like y'all aren't afraid to get creative in the space either. Like what you're talking about with the um, you were telling us before we started recording about the the rocks, the digits. Can you tell talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Well, you know we you know it, to be sustainable. Going kind of back to where I, I was talking about sustainability and profitability. To be sustainable, you need partners, mm-hmm. and those partners have tax money, and that tax money can be used for cost shares. I pay part, and that entity, that governmental entity, will pay then part of, of uh, the project. The project has to be defendable to those taxpayers, so that's one of the things we really, and that's why I want to applaud you for letting me talk about this on this podcast, sure. because... When I take a cost share of money, that's really taxpayers' money. So we have to prove that whatever we do on land, so whether it's from California to Maine to Florida to Georgia, Texas, wherever it is, a lot of us operate on cost shares with USDA, NRCS, you know, state organizations, water management districts all across the United States of America. They, the government entity, and us, the ranchers, have to be able to defend of what we do ecologically, environmentally. How does it benefit? In Florida, because we're such a a high-profile state, but also we have almost 1,000 new people move to Florida every week, bing, 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 just like that, um, we have to be able to justify that because we're a small minority but basically control uh, a lot of land. So one of the things that we we came up with was if we're going to be responsible for the nutrients going downstream, which we are responsible, if we are going to be responsible for the turbidity or the mud that goes downstream, we need to look outside the box. So what we started doing was putting many dams in here. So we are now rehydrating a lot of these ephemeral wetlands or wetlands that will go dry and go wet throughout Mm. the course of the year, Mm -hmm. rainy season, dry season. But we're trying to not bring it back to the condition and the state of water retention before we got on this property or this property was developed. We're trying to do it in increments to where we can have more wading birds, we can have more forage for our cattle, we can have a lot more forage uh, available during the dry times because Florida, in spite of the sunshine state and it rains all the time, we go into droughts. We've been in a drought situation four out of the last five years here in Florida where a lot of these ponds and sloughs would go dry. We're trying to rehydrate them. At the same time, we try to put those dams exactly where our equipment goes across a stream, a creek, a wetland, and we put those rocks down, we can kind of raise that water level up using going back to experts better than me florida mm-hmm. conservation group national wildlife refuge association nrcs fwc we depend on a lot of those folks so where the when the cattle walk across they don't disturb it as much when we drive our equipment around uh, through there we don't disturb that mud we don't make a mud situation and we can have those many dams throughout miles and miles and miles of creeks so that was that was one another one of the cost shares that we did was solar wells that I think since y'all have been coming mm-hmm. here, we've started seeing more solar wells. This year, we're going to put four yeah. more wells in. And so we will be able to move those cattle because this is not a small paddock or small pastures where you have 100 acres and you rotate them to the next 100 and the next 100. 
we want to rotate these cattle by utilizing water sources. So mm-hmm. if I can put water sources, say, at the very far southwest corner, we can move in those cattle over there, and they will don't have to walk a mile to get water during the dry times. Now, during the wet times, they're walking through water all the time. Right, so, right, right. So we're doing, we're doing those things. I mean, between the burning, between the rehydrating wetlands, between the little mini you know, the little mini dams that we're, we're doing also that we don't use hardly any herbicide or pesticide here. I'm not against it because we live in a subtropical state here. Mm-hmm. We have every invasive species known to man from Central and South America. <laughs> so we have to take care of our land or else, you know, I mean, wild pigs happen to be an invasive species mm-hmm. kind of here. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Kogan's grass and you have hyacinths and you have a lot of, a lot of water grasses. So... We'll use them, but we'll use them judiciously. But we use all those people to do soil tests, to do tissue tests of our grass, to see when we need to apply nutrients or when we have to mm-hmm. apply something. If something's taking over, you know, if it's old world climbing fern or something like that, we cannot afford to hire enough people to go in there and, and manage 10 or 15,000 acres by hand pulling this stuff. So we have to use it. But we use it very, very judiciously. Mm-hmm. So. Those are some, kind of some of the things on the on the on the wildlife um, that you that um, that we're talking about. We do a lot of other things, monetizing like you know we've tried meat and we do honey and we do pork and we do beef and you know and and, and also we use that stuff to tell a story. Mm-hmm. It isn't just to you know make a market. But it's you know we are coin operated. Mm-hmm. You know I mean ranchers are coin operated. Mm-hmm. We we operate on a slim margin of profit usually. You know, I'm not John Dutton. This ain't Yellowstone. <laughs> um, so you can't go buy thirty uh, cutting horses. <laughs> uh, I cannot take ta- Taylor Sheridan and, and drive him off with Jimmy and buy buy a bunch of cutting horses from four sixes. <laughs> um, but we try, and we try really, really hard. Florida is a fast-growing state. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of pressure. We have a lot of groups. We got a tremendous amount of sport fishing groups, sport fishermen, hunters, duck hunters, turkey hunters, deer hunters, you know, and, and all of them want a piece of this pie we call Florida. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not anti-development by any stretch of the imagination because, you know, simple fact of if you own land, I feel like you need, you, you own it, you can take care of it, but you also have the ability to sell it if you want to. You know, I right. mean, that's, that's just private property rights and goes back to the beginning of the United States of America. But, sure. but I think there needs to be a balance between growth and saving land. And Florida is a great, great spot. People come to Florida for the water, for the fishing, for the hunting, whether it's saltwater fishing, freshwater fishing. You know, we've got the Everglades. We've got a lot of, a lot of things to draw yeah, people here. Right. Tell me, uh, taking, you, taking you back a little bit, tell me about... Uh, the honey that y'all have here and here's why i asked that is because uh so last night uh when jesse was still here we took the one of the one half of the turkey breast that she that she shot and we cooked it and we used the honey from here to cook it with so it was it was kind of a cool deal because we were we were eating turkey and based it in honey pretty much made like a honey glaze uh a turkey yeah. strip is very good, good on yeah. the grill. but it was it was fun because you know we were like we're you know we're eating the turkey that was taken off of here and using honey that was made here it, it was it was cool you know yeah. well i appreciate that that was one of the first products we did and and here was our theory that i see there's a lot of misrepresentation 
out in the food world, you know, that whether it's local or where it's organic or whether it's grass-fed or whether it's grass-finished or whether it's, you know, all these, all these different monikers mm-hmm. we put on. And we wanted to use honey because honey is, you know, one of the original food sources. And uh, so where we placed our bees, we placed our bees to where our bees either <clears throat> stay on the ranch or they go into Mayaka State Park, which is all pristine wilderness. Mm-hmm. There's no invasive species. There's no garbage cans. There's no garbage dumps. There's no mm-hmm. housing. There's no orange groves. There's no farm fields. So you don't get pesticide, herbicides. You don't get any of that thing. So when I say this is truly wildflower honey, like the original explorers like Ponce de Leon and Hernando de Soto that came to Florida, which is land of flowers, um, when they came here, you can have the same honey that they had whenever whenever they came here. That's cool. It's all wildflower honey. And I don't know if... Uh, uh, and you can 100% taste the difference. <laughs> yeah, you can. 100%. Well, thank you, thank you. And, and if I tell some people it changed your life, but you know that uh, where the term honeymoon came from. I don't, no, I don't. I don't. It, no, I don't. Let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, this, yeah. this is trivia from a cattle rancher from South Florida. <laughs> that honey, honeymoon came from back in, in, in the old days because, you know, they found some honey, I do believe, in King Tut's tomb, you know, that they said was still a viable, viable honey. Hmm. And, and honey was used for so many things, you know, whether you get a burn or you get a cut, you know, or different things. But one of the things it was used for was, you know, when people got married, the only alcoholic, the first alcoholic beverage ever known to man was mead, which was made out of out of honey and water and some yeast or some fruit that were put mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. And so whenever whenever a couple would get married, that they would get enough honey to last a whole moon cycle or a whole lunar cycle, a whole month, um, they would get enough alcoholic beverage that they would gift to you know, to the couple that just just got married. Mm. So since we have honey, moon, so you have a thirty day cycle. Well, I'll be. Uh. So anyhow, that uh, that and a whole lot of other little trivia. You know, <laughs> you learned me you, something, man. Get, get you get you a free drink at a bar. Yeah, no, you're already getting more of that bargain for the conversation today. I well, I've done learned something. Yeah, I had no yeah. idea. So that that's that's just to me it's really interesting and that's where we started out was was with the honey mm-hmm. and and of course we get we get a pretty good price for our honey because our honey is different it is some of the best honey I around can, I can personally vouch for that yeah and and so it's pure it's good it's great and uh, so it's a limited quantity so so we do it we ship a lot of honey to New York uh, almost almost every month. We'll ship a, ship a case or two up. There's a there's a small group in New York. We've shipped <laughs> it to Condé Nast um, up in uh, up in New York, and actually I shipped them five gallons of, five gallons of honey, and cost them six hundred and eighty one dollars to ship it overnight. They were wow. doing a food shoot up there. Ah. Um, so we do we do a lot of different things. Then we went into the kind of the pig business and the, po- uh, the pork. The I can't even pronounce the name. I'm not even gonna try. But that's an interesting part of this deal to me too, is the way you've done your pork. Well, we've we've. We were looking around, and of course, we've got we are inundated with you know with wild hogs, and we have a really great hog predator or hog control program at all the ranches. This isn't the only one we have, mm-hmm. um, so we've got a really great control over that thing with a lot of uh, 
you know, a lot of different ideas on, on that. But we wanted some of the best pork that if you were a visitor here, you know, we could have some of the best pork. Well, what was rated at the best pork in the world was the Mangalisa that comes from Hungary. That's it. Hungary and Austria. It was the royal royal pig of, of Austria and Hungary. And, and uh, they are a fat hog. They're, they're kind of like a Piney Woods rooter, you know. They're kind of mm-hmm. like those first hogs that came to America. They don't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger when you... You know, whenever you uh, whenever you decide to process them, one that's solid muscle, they are a fat hog. But the fat is deemed to be some of the best in the world. We do sell our fat. And uh, so we've got a small herd of hogs that we brought from Hungary and from Austria that we have, we have here on the ranch. So we did that. Again, we're trying to tell that story. They're free-range hogs. Now, that doesn't mean they range over five or 6,000 acres. It means they are pasture-raised, not raised in confined pens. All right. And so, so we now have Italian sausage and country sausage and, you know, a lot of other different things. We, we uh, sell uh, some whole hogs to some of the finest restaurants uh, along the Gulf Coast of, of Florida. And we are in the beef business. We do have grass-fed beef. It is grass-fed, grass-finished beef. We also have fed cattle you know that, mm-hmm. that we feed cattle in the feedlots of the same cattle that you would you would pick up at a high-end steakhouse in san francisco to new york you know we produce here too with uh, a partnership of florida cattle ranchers uh, which is 12 ranchers that started a partnership mm-hmm. uh, i'm the smallest rancher by far the rest of them have large ranches and big family operations um, and some of the best men and women in the state of florida mm-hmm. uh, are I'm partners with so we produce Florida cattle ranchers beef, and then we produce Blackbeard Ranch beef, which is uh, strictly grass-fed. So we, mm-hmm. we try to offer products to everybody, but it gives us an opportunity to tell that story of sustainability and what do ranch lands give back to society that nobody recognizes that, you know, you got a family of four or five and they drive down the road, whether you're in Texas or you're California or in South Florida where we are, and they drive down the road, and they stop, and they see some deer, and they see some cattle, and they see some beautiful green grass and some trees, and, and they stop and say, man, this is, man, look at this view. Isn't this pretty? Boy, they're raising beef. Well, I want them to change that whole narrative. I want them to stop, and whenever they stop there, and, and we are working on that in the state of Florida right now very hard with a couple groups I'm with. We want them to stop, and I want somebody to turn around and go, wait a minute, Daddy. They produce more than beef. Mm-hmm. They sequester carbon, so much carbon in those wetlands out there. And look at the trees that help, you know, help with the oxygen. Look at those wetlands that are filtering water and they're rehydrating the aquifer, aquifers underneath there. And not only that, I know where we're at. And they're also providing a wildlife corridor because we have a designated, all these different, mainly tributaries and rivers across Florida, is started by Dr. Tom Hochter with the University of Florida called the Florida Ecological Greenways Network, and that's where all our wildlife likes to go. Mm-hmm. We're all hunters and we're all woodsmen, and we know we're going to follow those creek bottoms, you know, through there and those little shady areas where, you know, game can slip back into. That's your wildlife highways. Yeah. Exactly. So our wildlife highways we deem to be called the wildlife corridor. So besides all those other things, ephemeral wetlands and uh, helping fil- filter some of the water as it comes through our ranches before it reaches the coast and 
um, and all the sport fishermen there, uh, whether you're in Boca Ciega or Tampa Bay or wherever you're at, you know, we need to provide as clean a water that goes in those estuaries as, as possible. So if that family of four or five will stop and say, it isn't just beef, they're providing wildlife corridors, wildlife highways. They're, they're providing endangered species habitat. They are providing recharge areas for the aquifers. They're cleaning the water. They're sequestering carbon. They're doing all those things that are on the forefront of everybody's mind now about mm. climate change, sea level rise. Well, rooftops aren't going to help with climate change and sea level rise. We are. Agriculture is. Green space is. Green space is, is what's going to help. That's why I go back to we need a balance. Mm -hmm. We need development, and we also need uh, green space. Right. No, that's definitely a necessity. For, I mean, you got to have both because the population's growing. Well, but you got to have areas like this too, like like, or will fail. Well, and look at it. I mean, I mean, we can end this on a on a very high note. This entire conversation, which I mean, how long, how long have y'all been actively, you know? So was 2018 when y'all started? So or was it before that? A little bit before that. So less than what are we thinking? Five, six years? Six or seven years? Yeah. And look at the. I mean, look look at the results. I mean, see, I mean, this place is incredible. You know, I mean, so it's it's a it, I, the the thing that I was thinking about. You know, as some of the things that just translated over to things that we've talked about before. Um, you know, there like we spoke about this before we started recording. There's some um, a lot of talk going around right now about the turkey population in Mississippi. Well, you know, and you know what can we do? Well, we were talking about cost share programs for burning. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to get people for prescribed burns. I mean, there's so many things that you're doing that's obviously worked so incredibly here. But that translate translates over to who knows who all hear this podcast that yeah. has private land that can get involved themselves with some of those cost share programs, whether they're a rancher or, or, or what, you know, I mean, it's, there's, there's opportunities out there. Cause we get, I mean, Jordan, you know, now, we get, we get messages all the time. Um, you know, talk, talking about specifically, uh, burning, for example, they're like, well, I, you know, I don't know how to burn. I'm not certified. I don't have the time. Well, cost share programs, they're there, mm -hmm. you know, they're there. And there it's a, and there's also the um, the misconception that, uh, not to take this down a negative route at all, but some people assume you know the cost share programs. Like, oh well, that's just benefiting private land. Like, no, you got to think bigger. You got you got to think bigger. You got if you don't, especially like, like talking about Mississippi. Mississippi's um, vast majority privately owned. So if you don't start doing this kind of work on the private land, then what are you doing? Yeah, you right. know what I mean. It all it yeah. all goes hand in hand. And something we've said especially over the last few months since we've been talking about the the habitat that the changes that could be made and we were talking about what's going to move the needle is it the people that manage your public lands there are the minority who owns it or is it the people that own your uh, private lands that's the people that will yeah. move the needle forward yeah and don't get like very very thankful for the for the management of the public i mean most of the from no, what I can tell, yeah. Talking about the, the the landscape as a whole, there's way more private lands in the in the United States than it is public. So yeah. those are the people that is the responsibility. Whether we fail at 100 years from now, what it looks like versus you know going forward, that's that's your needle movers, your private yeah. landowners. Yeah. And just watching that take place in action here, it's it's like I, I can't. 
it's hard to articulate yeah. it, but it's been it's been pretty incredible. Oh, we say it every year when we're down here turkey hunting. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, you probably feel like we're blowing smoke every year because I say <laughs> this is the best I've ever seen it. But and it it's the case; it gets better every year as far as the wildlife. Yeah. Mm. Well, all right. Let's go back to let's go. I, it sounds like we're winding up. Oh uh, no, we can go with yeah, uh, whichever but, direction you want to go. But but here's 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 what I'd, I'd like to elaborate on. Sure. That a lot of these hunters that are listening to this show today go, you know, hey, that's great. You're on pri- you know, private land, private land. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If you're a hunter and you hunt public land and you do the wildlife management hunts, look at all of the ranch lands that are around those tracts of land where you hunt and they're private lands for the most part. So those private lands can be a breeding ground for those animals, whether it's turkey or quail or white-tailed deer, um, you know, to where if we have those buffer areas that buffer our, ourselves from development, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm right. just, let's be realistic, that if we could do those buffer, buffer areas, it will help those public land managed hunting areas for mm. the public to hunt by having more game so when i say we're defendable uh we have to be defendable on every dime we spend with cost shares we do because it's those folks that are helping people like me helping ranches like this across the united states of america do things that benefit them so whether it's water or oxygen or carbon sequestration wildlife mm-hmm. highways i think jordan said it was wildlife highways that's a great term to it's use term, yeah. that that if you start breaking up highways and all of a sudden you've got a you've got a bridge that isn't there anymore mm-hmm. you've just broken up that highway mm-hmm. so so if we kind of look at all the way across the florida you take i-10 running across north florida you knock all the bridges out how, how good you're going to travel down that road <laughs> <You gotta> stop <laughs> <laughs> you're not and you're not going to go anywhere so so that's i applaud the uh the water management areas which have hunts the fwc people that manage these wildlife management mm-hmm. areas i applaud them they got a lot of good biologists we get a lot of information from them and and we don't this ranch does not do public hunts we don't sell a hunt um, but we like to have this to show what private lands do for a greater society we've got 22 million people that live in the state of florida one, less than one half of one percent of the population is in agriculture, in production agriculture. That means we don't have a lot of votes, we don't have a lot of money, but they control a lot of land. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's our job, like we're sitting here today, and I truly appreciate what y'all are letting me do, to try to show folks what private lands do for greater society. Right. And it's not just providing a breeding ground that goes into water management districts, but it's carbon sequestration, it is air quality. It is wildlife corridors, ephemeral wetlands, recharging the aquifers, all those things that, you know, that we do. I'd like to just be recognized you yeah, know, absolutely. for what we're doing. And mm-hmm. we're trying our best. And in the meantime, we're producing some pretty good, pretty good beef across the United absolutely. States. You're, pretty, you, you're also producing some pretty great turkey populations. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one thing I want to like, I think there is a misconception that, going from the past to the future i think it's changing like you're talking about as far as like the word getting out about like a cattle ranch like how to look at it and you know a lot of people think about a, a modern day agriculture a lot of people think this i like we're in the 
I guess, boots on the ground so we see the difference that's been made. A lot of people think they're like, take, take, take mm-hmm. on ranchers, mm-hmm. but they don't give back. Yeah. yeah. 100% false. Yeah. You know, and just from what you've told us in the last 35, 40 minutes, like, if you don't change your thoughts on that after hearing what our, everything's happening yeah. at Blackbeard's, you're like, okay, well, they're the, doing it for the better good, too. The, the other thing, too, that I'm, I'm reminding myself of is, you know, um, talking about things that translated over is we, again, talking about questions, talking about habitat, how can I make this better and that, that better. When I asked you, like, you know, like, what have y'all done on this place? We've said it before. There's not, like, one silver bullet. Like, you can't, you're not going to go, I did this one thing, and that's why all this is incredible. It's it's a bunch of little things. It's a bunch mm-hmm. of small, focused point things that, that y'all have done um, that added up yeah. to make this place what it is. There's not one silver bullet to fire. You, you're absolutely right. And you mentioned ryegrass one time. We do take sod on the, you know, we have to monetize. We, we do everything we sure. can to, to keep this habitat, to have it sustainable. We take uh, cabbage trees. Part of, our, part of our wildlife management plan is taking cabbage trees or sable palms out of those thick cabbage heads that y'all hunt in. We take those out. We sell them to developers or we sell them to DOT to put along I-75 or I-10 or I-4. We uh-huh. sell those. Well, in doing that, that's part of our management plan because we now are do- introducing more and more sunlight down into that tree canopy that was a solid tree canopy. There wasn't anything growing underneath right. underneath those. So now, it, as, we, as we're watching where we've pulled a lot of trees, it helps us with an income stream. We run fire through there about two years after that. We'll run fire through there, open it up in the panicums and the small species of grass and little seed heads that come up not only help the wildlife and the turkeys, but it also helps the cattle population. It mm-hmm. also helps. It also helps them. It gives us a little bit of income, income stream there too. So we're always looking sod. As soon as we cut sod, which we do cut sod, um, as soon as we cut it, we come right back in with a winter grazer or a summer grazer, to where we cover up that bare ground with mm-hmm. something to keep the weeds from coming up because mm-hmm. if we keep the weeds from coming up then that sod's going to grow back faster that is a sustainable crop same as cabbage trees it's a sustainable crop mm-hmm. same with honey it's a sustainable crop we can keep right on beef it's a sustainable crop we also combine a little seed here a little bahia seed a little indigo seed and and we bail it we bale some hay um here but we try to work all of them in in, in common if we plant ryegrass that helps with feed for the turkeys you know during during the winter months and the wildlife you know and it helps our cattle so we're just trying to balance things out here you know we're not rocket scientists we're just cowboys trying to make a you know trying to make a living down here in south (laughs) florida yeah well i mean it's kind of the the proofs in the pudding i mean anyone can go and Look, I mean, because everyone except for, but I mean, all the shows we've done right here are available on YouTube. Not all of them, but they will. The, yeah. the ones that have currently been made will be available in the next few weeks. But again, it, it you can go and see this place and see what we're talking about. Yeah. But it's it's I, I I mean, you were saying you appreciate us for you know letting you come on here. We appreciate you. Yeah. I can't say that enough. Yeah, yeah. that's uh. As I know, it's my wife's favorite place in the world to come to. <laughs> well, I, it goes back just 
not between hunters and ranchers, but between all aspects and stratas of society. Mm. That if we're all going to live here, we kind of have to think of each other of leaving, living downstream from each other. That whatever we do on our land, our condo, our house, our, our ditch, you know, is going to affect the rest of society. But we also have to have that conversation and let people know what's my issue. Or what's my attribute? You know, what are we doing for you and what are you doing for us? And recognizing and, and just being having that human experience of interaction between each other. We're sitting here with, you know, hunters and, you know, television, you know, a television show and, and a podcast. And, a, you know, and a cowboy, we're having a pretty good conversation. We need to have those across America because this ranch is no different than a thousand other ranches in the state of Florida. Any well-run ranch in the state of Florida could be like this, and I interact with a lot of ranchers from all across the United States of America. There are some great stories from New Mexico. Every state there is, there's some great stories just like this. Mm -hmm. So uh, get to know those ranchers, and, and uh, you don't have to show them appreciation, but just knowing what they do might, you know, might help them down the road on some legislation that comes through. The, you know, the legislature in Maine or the legislature in, in California, you know, the, there might be people out there to listen to this and go, you know what, I got it. Mm. You know, the ranchers aren't just asking for money. They're asking for cost shares that will help the budget through NRCS or USDA that are going to help greater society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. 100%. Hopefully we uh, help. Help educate some people today. Heck, I learned that's something the, today. That's the plan. I found out what a honeymoon <laughs> is. <laughs> well, uh, well, Mr. Jim, thank you again. Jordan, you have anything else you want to add? I don't. Mr. Think. Jim, anything else? No, just uh, I, I appreciate y'all. And, and uh, you know, we keep telling each other in, in the agricultural world, all we have is our story. Mm -hmm. I mean, we and our story's got to be a good one. So y'all help tell that story. That's what we yeah. do, or well, try to do. In our opinion, it's a story worth telling. Yep. Thank you. 100%. Uh, all right, we'll wrap this up, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope y'all got as much out of that conversation as I did. I know I got a lot. And uh, we'll catch y'all back here next week. As always, thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.